Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Okay, well, hopefully in a moment we're going to be talking to, to Nicky Henderson about some of his stars in the, in the lead-up to the Cheltenham Festival, one of whom, of course, is Shishkin. He now almost becomes the team captain after what he did yesterday. Yeah, I'd, I'd, well, he, I, thought that, I thought yesterday that was his most impressive performance. I mean, they were, he slightly hung out uh, to the outside during the early stages, but I, I thought that that was a more impressive performance than the two at Kempton. Uh, I think Nicky Henderson said afterwards, and indeed going into it, it was a no-win situation. If you've got a 7-1 to on favourite, he's expected to win and expected to win impressively. And that's what Shishkin did. Nicky Henderson is with us now. Morning, Nicky. Morning, Nick. Morning. And has he come back OK and, and all, all they yeah, won this no, morning? good, thank you very much. Yeah, no, we've come through the hoop and, and, and safely home. You said you were extremely relieved watching, watching on yesterday, if indeed you, you were able to... To watch it, he's become an important horse. This now, hasn't he? Well, like all these situations, as as um, as you're saying, you know, it 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 is a no. Well, it is a win situation. You're winning a race, but it it is as as you said, it, it he's got to do it, and he's got to do it impressively to keep everybody to keep everybody happy, or the you know the pundits. But to be fair, he's been good all along, and he's 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 very uncomplicated, isn't he? Um, he is here, and I think he is on the race course. And Nico said that he, you know, he he puts himself right, has his own way of doing it. Sometimes edges to the left, sometimes edges to the right, but always makes ground in the air. Is he different from your other star, Two Milers, in in his demeanour at home and, and the way he he carries himself and does things? Well, again, he, you know, he will. If it's sort of Altior's and Sprinters when they were when they were young, they were very very flashy. He's a very good looking horse. Um, but he doesn't tear around the place until you ask him to. You know, he, he'll go and do his canters like any other horse and that. But when you when you want him, you you can just switch it on and do your bit and um, switch him off again. It doesn't phase him. It doesn't worry him. He doesn't think about it. Um, he is actually very very straightforward. In fact, he hardly. I mean, it, 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 he's, he's sort of clockwork training, really. And uh, when, when you sent him up to Doncaster yesterday, were you in any way worried about, about the ground and about the, the condition of the various tracks that we've got around the, the country at the moment? It has been a very trying time, and I can see another difficult week coming up across the board. Um, because it's impossible to make plans. And I'm just, I'm just glad and grateful we managed to get the race in because... The timing was good. There was, I mean, there was a reason for not going to Warwick, and that a because it would seem the opportunity to get out while we could, but b the same day we have got Newbury, where we're hoping that uh, we're all going well. That Champ will appear, and we've got a couple of nice horses in the Betfair Hurdle, and things like that. So you know, a clash with Warwick wasn't running him at Warwick wasn't going to help my situation or Nico's anyway. Um, and it was just, I'm just glad it's, we, we've got, got, got him out and the job was done. And now we can just concentrate on going forward. Um, and he can have a quiet week on top of it. So that's, that's it for him. He's done. His preparation is, is oh, complete. Yeah. yeah. I've got no, I don't, you know, he, he got a good lead yesterday. That was a bit of practice. I know Nicky was wide. Yes, I was worried about the ground, but... Uh, you, you sort of have to start giving up worrying about the ground because you know what it's going to be everywhere. There is going to be no, there's going to be no decent ground anywhere. Um, it's either, well, as I've been saying for months now, it's either heavy or abandoned. You don't get much option. 
Um, so you've either got to go in, in, in very soft. And fair, it wasn't heavy yesterday anyway. Um, I know they changed it, but it was still, it was probably nearly harder work than it was on the Friday, even though it had dried out a fair bit. And there's, there's been a lot of talk this week as, as to whether Shishkin is the best horse anywhere in Britain at the moment. Older horse, younger horse, whatever. Um, what would you say to that? Um, I don't think he's got that far yet. <laughs> I mean, he's lovely and it's great that, you know, I mean, where we've been lucky is that these two milers, I don't seem to be able to get them to go any further than that, but, um, you know, that he hasn't, he hasn't got to, the, to, to anywhere near to, to sprinters or altios yet, but, you know, he's doing everything right. Um, and, in fact, bar one fall at Newbury, he would have been unbeaten um, throughout his hurdle campaign and his chase so far. But um, I can't see that he's... I mean, he's got a very high rating, I know, but I think that's... Well, I've, <laughs> I hope they're right, that's all I can say. Um, yeah, he's got a long way to go to prove them, but as I say, we've been incredibly lucky that these three... Well, he's the two-and-a-half at the moment, two-and-a-half very high-class two-mile chasers have, have sort of followed on one from the other. And, and as I say, you'd be lucky to have one, let alone three of them. If we get another really wet week, Nicky, how many problems does that pose you as regards getting horses to, to their respective targets? I mean, if, if everything was abandoned next weekend, for example, what would you do with the Santinis of this world? Well, there's a good question. I mean, I've discussed it with Richard Calvin Hughes, and I mean, we've said if it, if it came to it, we, we, we'd actually said all along that we probably wouldn't run him if it was heavy. And then he had a very good week. He's been in terrific form, and we decided we'd go to Cheltenham Virtually, we, we declared him on heavy ground, having said that we wouldn't, but he's just been so good. Um, and I would love to get a, a, a run into him. And Cheltenham is the obvious place to go. Um, if it happens to reroute this week, we will be there. Um, then you've got the option of the uh, Denman chase at Newbury, which is the plan for Champ, but if we have to run two in it, we have to run two in it. Um, it's obviously not ideal, but it, you, no reason why they shouldn't. Uh, they've both got to do their own things and not worry about each other. Um, and I think after that, I, I, I would say we'll have to do it our own way. And we have got fantastic facilities here, and you know various race courses have, have, have been very helpful. We always go and have a gallop at Kempton um, a fortnight before, and Barney kindly sort of to the annoyance of some of the flat boys and then because he digs digs it up a little bit for us and it does take i know it takes a little bit of time to go down again um but it, it's a big help that we've always done it um for the horses that haven't had a run in the meantime and there's quite a lot of them that are not going to run again um the likes of mr fisher definitely won't because there just isn't a race so he'll go straight to the Ryanair. um um, Bouverdeau won't run again, Epitant won't run again, um, and um, Champ will get one run, Santini if they run. Yeah, I mean, they'll just have to, you know, we can do it without a race, without a race, um, without too much worry, but um, some of them would just like a run. There are a few novice, few novice hurdlers I want to run again um, that, you know, are on the periphery of being up to standard for it um, but they definitely need to go again to prove it and you mentioned yesterday on on ITV that Epitanta just had her back uh, tweaked has that worked yeah I think so I, I we're on top of something I mean she was very uncomfortable at Kempton um, even before the race funny enough um, and it, it, I'm, I'm pretty confident that's where it's all originated from so she's having plenty of treatment on that um, and seems in very good form, and her preparation sort of starts to build up from now. She's very easy on that score. She's very clean-winded, and she doesn't take a lot. But Daryl actually need more work than than she will. Um, but they're how, both in good form. How many do you think you'll end up running in the Champion Hurdle? Because you know, Buzz is quite prominent in the market for the Betfair Hurdle. Could that horse be a? Be a well, Buzz possible? has got a stiff task at the Betfair because he looks unless Ballyandy comes in uh, that we'll have top weight. Uh, we'll run him and Mr. Coffey. Um, Buzz is in, they're, they're both in actually excellent shape. They both worked yesterday, and they're you know ready to go. Um, but 
Buzz is in the champion hurdle. I mean, but he's going to, you know, if, if he if he did happen to win the Betfair hurdle off that sort of weight, then, you know, you sort of put yourself in that position, don't you? Um, he's got to be very good to do it. So, but he is, no, he is going very well. Nicky, there are 44 days to go to the to the Cheltenham Festival, and um, you've been you've been um, very generous with your time the last couple of weeks, and you, you know you've clearly articulated it's not been a particularly easy time. Speaking now with 44 four days to go, how do you sort of feel out of 10? Um, well, I feel good. Um, I think you know we we haven't we, we've got we've got some very exciting prospects there, particularly for the sort of the the. the, the the, the main races, if you like, the Champion Chase, Champion Hurdle, Gold Cup, you know, we've got a couple for all of those. Um, they're not, you know, well, the Arkle, obviously, he has a good chance. Um, you know, we can't, we've got to get them there first. 44 days is a very, very, very long time in a horse's life. I mean, you know, you get up every morning, we've got a couple of niggly ones this morning, but, you know, we're about to get out there and solve those, I hope. Um, it, it, it's the, you're in the sort of nervous 90s, if you know what I mean. Um, you don't need much to happen to to put it all out of out of sync, and you, you, it, it's never an easy time. The only thing we have got this year, we won't have to spend every night traipsing around the country doing Cheltenham previews because <laughs> <laughs> apparently they're all, we're going to do them all virtually, which is lovely. So. That's about yeah. the only bonus I can think of so far. When you've done your 18th Zoom call in an evening, you yeah. might you might revise your opinion. You <laughs> might you might long for a for a crowded bar with somebody asking you what you fancy for the for the festival plate or whatever. Yeah. Um, Nikki, I, I mean, crucially, after we spoke at Christmas, you were sort of suggesting that you, know, they, you weren't just entirely happy with the overall health of them, but you you happier they are all healthier now. Yeah, we have had problems, and and it sort of it. You know, You've always got a few. There have been more than one would like at times. Um, it seems to, at the moment, just to be affecting uh, just the younger horses. Of course, the, you know, a lot of the four-year-olds have just come, came in, as we always do, after Christmas. Um, and they've started to do a bit of work, and, and they're, they're like children going to school. You know, you've got to get chicken pox or mumps or measles or whatever you like and there's probably a bit of that around but I think the older horses are definitely seem in good shape I mean they've they've all run um, the, the two mares ran good races yesterday although they didn't win um, they couldn't complain about that no I'm, I'm happy enough the horses look very very well they look great and everybody's you know it's, it's been hard work slopping around every morning in the wet and cold but that everybody's done great and they're I think they're the right place at the right time. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Let's talk to Ben Pauling, who struck yesterday in the River Don hurdle at Doncaster, courtesy of the Cobb. Huge price horse. It was his third success in this race after Nade Tack and the much vaunted Bartas Hill. And Ben's on the line now. Morning, Ben. Morning, Nick. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, unusual for a trainer, any trainer, to win so many editions of, of one graded race, but you've done it with the River Don. I mean, I'm just annoyed with myself for not reading something into that before yesterday's race. He was very impressive. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, I think, I think he probably slightly surprised us all with the manner in which he did it. Um, I, I think he's got plenty of ability, but obviously the step-up in trip has played massively to his strengths and allowed him to, well, improve quite significantly, I suppose. And you, I said to you, you've won the race before, and with a, one very good horse and with one one less good horse. Where does where does the cob fit? Um, well, I think the cob. He's had a bit of a sort of relaxed profile. You know, we haven't expected an awful lot from him. Um, he was he was bought not overly expensively, and um, I was quite taken earlier this season by the way that he sort of went about his job. Um, he, you know, none of my horses were overly well last year. He had a terrible old season, really. So you couldn't judge him on last year's performance. Um, but I think he's I think he's fast improving, and and for all 
he's possibly not the best jumper at home. He seems to be economic enough on the race course, and I think the bigger the obstacle, the better he'll jump. So hopefully chasing next year will be on the agenda. And just in, in, in the immediate future, what are, you, what are you hoping for from him? Well, I didn't give him an entry in the Albert Bartlett. Um, and you look back and you think that probably might not be the most sensible option. I think we'll certainly look at possibly supplementing him. You know, the racing club is... These racing clubs are great. They, I put it together for people that wanted to come come in and have a, a smaller share of a horse. Um, the racing club's been on the go for a few years yet. It's never had much success until this season. Um, and so my view is, you know, the prize money is theirs, but I'm sure they'd all dream about having a horse good enough to run at a festival. I think on yesterday's performance, a, a tilt at something like the Albert Bartlett might not be the most stupid idea. And, uh, you know, an, an owner syndicate like this is, is so important, Ben, and uh, in all honesty, it, it's odds against that there'll be, there'll be owners at the Cheltenham Festival. I know we're still hoping that there might be, but I, I'm not sure that even the most optimistic amongst us can, can expect that as a, as a likelihood. I mean, to what extent does, does that sort of start altering your, your plans for horses? Um, well, quite considerably, really. Um, I don't think, you know... Nobody ever really wants to have social runners at the at the festival anyway. You know, every horse that should be there um, on its merits, and, and, and even if it's a slightly larger price, you, the trainer or the owner, should believe that it's got the ability to step up and be competitive. But um, I suppose there's not going to be the pressure because obviously, you know, let's be honest, it's 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 the big one of the of the national hunt season, um, and it's not the only big meeting. But everyone would love a runner at the festival and. I suppose there won't be the pressure this year of, of owners so much wanting to go there because if they can't go themselves, it, it does take the shine off it slightly. But um, at the same time, you know, I'm, we'll just hopefully run the right horses there and, you know, hopefully everything that does run will have a squeak in some way. Uh, um, ben, you, you said yourself you had a pretty wretched time of it last year. The horses are running better now than they have done for, for quite some time. Is there, I mean, there's a very interesting piece by Lee Moss said in the Racing Post this week about trainer form and whether we can sort of understand anything by it. Can you attribute your better form to anything in particular? Um, well, last season <clears throat> was a season that I'll happily forget, to be honest. Um, we had some nice horses, you know, we won a few grade races and whatever have you, and we nearly pulled off a winner at the festival, which would have, I think, been the biggest achievement by a country mile in our career because training them was very tough. Every time we put any sort of work into them of any significance at home, they they behaved like they'd, they'd run the national the day before, you know, and they'd come back all, you know, just, just tired and and weak and whatever have you. So training them was exceptionally hard. You had to just basically train them very, very lightly. And obviously you were worried about fitness then. But there was something there last year. And everybody says, what was it? What was it? I cannot attribute it to any one thing. Um, and all I know is I don't want it again in a hurry because it's the most frustrating situation when you're taking blood, you're taking track washes and everything's coming back healthy and well, but they're quite clearly not right. Um, Obviously, this year has been much better for us, and I think this year is very much a building season. But I suppose it's just the health of the horses. When, if you, if I mean, every trainer will say the same. If, if your horses stay healthy, you'll win races. You know, because whatever level they may be, as long as they're healthy and they're trying, you're going to win races. And I, I feel we're slightly at that stage where the horses are very healthy. Um, and as, as, as Nicky's just said, there's, 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 a, there's an odd sniffle here and there. It's the time of year. But, you know, they are a much healthier bunch and means you can get on and train them and have them there ready to run on the day. And you, you're in the middle of a pretty big project to completely overhaul the, the training operation. How's that, how's that progressing? Yeah, good. Um, so we've, yeah, we've got planning on uh, a property that we bought a year ago um, to build our our new yard, uh, very very exciting. Um, all the plans uh, are in, obviously, and we, we're in the final stages of getting quotes and signing different pieces to different um, people. But um, no, very very exciting. It's going to be a fabulous place to train from, and somewhere that 
we're really excited about, to be honest. It's not slightly terrified about the financial side of it at the moment. You know, <laughs> it's, um, it's going to be an exciting year ahead, I think. Uh, I think maybe people underestimate the, the financial risks sometimes that you do have to take to establish yourself on, on that scale. Uh, are you somebody who, who is sort of confident enough and buccaneering enough to, to, to cope with that? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy um, to sit back and, you know, we've got a fabulous training centre where we are at the moment. We've had an awful lot of success from here and, you know, my landlord's been great in the fact that he's sort of moved with us uh, as, as we've gone and everything we've needed he's, he's catered for and I, I can't thank him enough for that. But, you know, it's not your own property. Um, you can't do exactly what you want. Um, I've obviously, having been at Nicky's, you know, come from some of the most fabulous facilities there are, uh, and trying to replicate that is never going to be easy. But I think where we're where we're going to be moving to is is going to hold a lot of um, scope for a future. And um, you know, it's 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 a time to get on. I'm at the right stage in my career. I think we've been training for seven years or eight years now. Um, we've got a nice bunch of horses and a great bunch of owners and and we've got to get on and go and create and, and probably hopefully take just to that next level really um you know we've always got to try and improve and better ourselves and i think this is a good opportunity to do that and for the rest of this season ben if you had one wish what would it be uh horses stay healthy and well to be honest um you know we've had we've had an indifferent season with our with our really good horses you know um I seem to be slightly plagued when I think I've got a grade one horse on my hands. You know, bright forecasts, heart won't stop, you know, won't, won't come out of atrial fibrillation. So that's him basically retired. Um, you know, we lost Willoughby, we lost Barters, uh, Paul Kildersarts uh, had a setback. So he's nothing drastic, but um, he'll be back next season, but he's, he's not going to be going again. Global Citizen struggled to hit form this year. And, you know, We've now got to look to the future, um, and we've got some really smart bump horses coming through, I think as good a couple of bump horses as I've ever had, um, and some really nice novice hurdlers um, and novice her at the moment um, that will hopefully perform throughout the rest of the season. But, you know, something like Shake Up Harry, I think, could hit the heights of being absolute top class over fences. I just think he's made for him. That's where I am now. I'm... I'm thinking to the future, um, yes, healthy horses through the rest of the season, try and grab a few more decent prizes. But, um, you know, it's all about the future and we've got to keep building from the bottom because, you know, it's, it's the only way to succeed, I think. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well... Uh, this is this is no laughing matter, but it will raise your eyebrows. Just before we, we get into our preview of the Dublin Racing Fest, I'm going to take you to New Zealand yesterday. You may have seen this on social media. If you haven't, um, well, uh, you'll have never seen anything quite like this before. This is Trentham in New Zealand near Wellington uh, yesterday morning. Kelly's inspiration, Boston strong boy Ruby Rocks. Denbosch starting to get through inside of these runners as they work on down. And then Hene Pata, Boston strong boy from Ruby Rocks on the outside. Flying serve, Denbosch getting through on the inside. A big finish coming up. And then we've got further away, Rose of Delgetti. Ruby Rocks on the outside in front. They're charging from everywhere, but she's home. Ruby Rocks from either. Flying surf, Bruno Michiel could be the other way, and then right with them has been Rose of Delgatti. Then we had Den Bosch, Boston strong boy, all of son of Bielski. T. Lee, I don't but there was a bloke standing on the track at the 150. The riders had to take evasive action. Cannot believe what I have just seen there. I've never seen anything in the middle of the track. Just unbelievable. Congratulations to the winners here. Well, it's been a funny old year, Dave, but uh, that'll take some beating. Yeah, it will. I mean, it's like you say, it's obviously things like this become a, something of a sensation on social media. I was just trying to look, I was just looking at a, a, a New Zealand newspaper's website to see uh, a couple of subsequent details. Obviously, the man was taken away and charged. As I say, you, you can look at this from a comedic point of view if you wish, but of course, it's. 
such an incredibly stupid and irresponsible thing to do, uh, not only for his own well-being, but uh, for the the dangers that he caused to uh, horses and riders. We know through our own experience what a dangerous sport horse racing is, and it, it was. I mean. I, I've, I've read a lot about the uh, the 1913 Derby and whether Emily Davison could have known at Tattenham Corner, could have judged the speed of the horses and yeah. stuff. Especially she she I don't think she'd but, ever been to the race because the conjecture was whether she could have correctly it, identified it, yes. the king's horse uh, and where, what she, what she was trying to do: so mm. get hit by it, not get hit by it, put something on on its tack on on Anma's tack. Um, obviously, that's a straight course, but they're absolutely hurling it, presumably. He'd had too much to drink. I mean, you know, it's just unthinkable. Let's hope that, let's hope that he's banned for life, and that that ban is is that they can enforce it because that's the absolute last thing that anybody wants to see. Just mind-bogglingly stupid. And of course, you your eyes were focusing on the man doing what he was doing on the track, but my eye was also drawn to the the small, tightly packed together crowd of people in the corner of an enclosure and of course it's a stark reminder that in New Zealand Covid is pretty much under control yeah. and they've controlled the borders extremely well and that sight of a lot of people packed together quite densely on a race course may be still a fairly long way off. Yeah absolutely well I mean Glastonbury was cancelled was it last week or the week before in New Zealand now they Have you had a refund for your Oh yeah, yeah, tent, right. my season for your, ticket for yours, yes, yes, for your tent space. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, it, there's a there's a, a a series of concerts in New Zealand now, isn't there? Where where or very close, I think, where obviously uh, they will be attended as as before. Um, if you've never read the late A. A. Gill's uh, essay on on being at Glastonbury, I would thoroughly recommend it. It's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Yeah, it's e he's easy enough to find. I think he wrote it for GQ. You know me well enough ago. to know that I'm You're, going to enjoy that. You are really going to enjoy <laughs> I'm write if you that haven't, down. If you've never read it, um, and Graham, my cameraman, is nodding away as well, uh, if you haven't read it, I'm, I'm going to write that it. down so I don't forget. Yeah. Um, it is the Dublin Racing Festival next weekend. It's very much the highlight of our coverage of the Irish National Hunt season. And Tim Husbands is the chief executive of Leopardstown Racecourse and is uh, joining me now. I'm hoping there he is. Tim, hi, how are you? Good morning, Nick. How are you doing? Uh, really well. It's obviously a, a Dublin racing festival with a difference. It's been, as has been so well documented, challenging for everybody in the industry. But how have, how have preparations been? Preparation's gone really well, I have to say. The, the track since Christmas uh, has been really well looked after uh, by, the, by the lads, uh, and I think it's in great condition. Um, we did a, a test last uh, on Thursday, and the chase track is yielding, yielding to soft in places, and the, the hurdle is soft. Uh, we've had about 30 mils of rain since then, um, and there's a little bit of white stuff floating down now. But I think uh, given uh, the experience of Leopardstown and how we have such a, a really good and effective and efficient drainage system, uh, I think the course will be in, in, in great condition for next weekend. Uh, as you said, a blue ribbon festival uh, in both the Irish and the UK national hunt racing calendar, really important. We've talked a lot about prize money and how that's been affected by COVID. Uh, just give me an, an example of, of, your, of your prize money structure for, for next weekend. Yeah, well, we've got 15 races, eight of those are grade one. Um, we have 1.8 million uh, prize money, so that the prize money's uh, HR have done a fantastic job in trying to retain as much as, as possible, uh, and uh, they're, they're mostly around the 25% down on previous years. Uh, but I think that has protected the interest of both the trainers and obviously the owners, who are incredibly important in, the, in, the, in this scenario. And do you think with you know, uncertainty as to whether people can get all their workforce across to the Cheltenham Festival, indeed, how many horses they might bring, do you think that will have uh, a positive impact on the number of runners at the, at the Dublin Racing Festival, people more keen to run when they can in these big races? Yeah, very much so. I, I think so. I think uh, 
it's a little bit disappointing we don't have uh, a massive amount of UK runners coming over to the Dublin Racing Festival but the passion is still there for the Irish trainers they, they have uh, uh, the, the very best horses the very best jockeys uh, and I think they'll be challenging for, for all the major major trophies over the Cheltenham Festival uh, and I think the importance of the Dublin Racing Festival uh, sometimes seen as just a stepping stone but I think it's a, a really important festival now in its own right uh, and helps, uh, helps gauge uh, at what point uh, some of the horses are, are performing and if you look at some of the records of the, the last well, the last years, that's a who's who of National Hunt, you know, with the winners of Chac and Poussois, Notebook, latest exhibition, Honeysuckle, appreciate it, uh, the fantastic effort of Faheen and Delta Work, uh, and uh, 25% of the horses that were in Dublin Racing Festival that were won or placed were also won or placed in Cheltenham. Tim, for you as Chief Executive of, of one of Ireland's most prestigious racecourses through, through the last year, how have you managed to balance the books? Uh, it's challenging, I have to say, like, like any other industry, uh, it's been extremely challenging. Uh, I joined about a year ago and it wasn't quite the year that I was uh, uh, expecting. Uh, so we've had to look very much at how we deliver a race meeting look at our operational costs, how we can manage those in the context of this. What's really important though is the presentation of professional racing uh, that we can present on the television. We also have, I think, a responsibility to run race meetings safely um, and I think we've done that and I think the work that HRI and uh, IHRB have done in terms of presenting the COVID protocols has shown how well we can do that over here in Ireland. Uh, and in terms of the, the financial well-being, yes, it's challenging. We've done uh, encouragingly well with the uh, exposure from streaming, uh, but it's very difficult to replace the money coming through uh, through the turnstiles from, from racegoers. So our emphasis is to try uh, and get us back on track, so to speak, um, towards the end of the year uh, with the same numbers that New Zealand are having at the moment. Are you already concentrating a marketing effort, even in the midst of the pandemic, on, on getting people back to the race course, getting people back to the sport when they're able to? Yeah, it's, it's a coordinated campaign that's really been prepared by HRI, not particularly track-related because we don't have dates in which or dates are, are targets in which we can do that. But HRI are putting together plans as to how well we do that. You have to plan in advance. We as a race course are planning for what the race meeting might look like with 2,000 people or 5,000 people, or if we're lucky to get back to the 15, the 18,000, what that kind of experience might be. Uh, and there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to, to try and structure that so that we can deliver that uh, safely, but also be commercially viable. You mentioned the IHRB, the Irish Horse Racing uh, Regulatory Board. They've been somewhat beleaguered in the, the last three weeks, and, and rightly so, because there have been a number of significant concerns surrounding the integrity of racing in Ireland. From your perspective, as someone who runs one of the marquee racecourses in Ireland, how much does that, that worry you, and, and how much pressure will you and your team be applying on the IHRB to, to get its house in order? I think the industry is aware of some of the gaps in service delivery for us, but we work together as an industry. It's, I have to say, coming from other industries, I think this is one of the most integrated ones, and the work and the cooperation and the partnership that goes between IHRB, the industry, and ourselves as racecourses will ensure that we work and we perform to the very best. I think we have. Uh, some of the very best race courses across Europe and I think Leopardstown is obviously one of those major ones. So we've had a lot of investment. We've just put in over £20 million pounds, uh, worth of development into the back of house scenes in, in creating uh, state-of-the-art medical facilities, jockey facilities um, and, uh, and areas for, them, for the media to try and impress or, or where, where, when that we're actually able to open that subject to COVID protocols. So I think that we're well aware of the gaps in where we need to improve uh, and the two agencies are working very closely in order to do that. So uh, whilst we accept that there are th areas that we can improve on, we are working very much together to improve those. And, and finally, Tim, before I let you go, how will, how will the place look when we all finally get back? Because obviously this has given you a bit of an opportunity maybe to accelerate some of that, that building work, some of that construction work. Um, 
what's it going to what's it going to be like? I, I think the the ray, we're really excited about showing uh, off what we've done. Uh, we've spent a lot of time over the course while we've been. Uh, closed. Yes, we've run 20 race meetings behind closed doors, but we've been able to finish the capital development of the, the new way room building. Uh, we've also developed new facilities, new event and bar facilities, uh, and it, it looks so polished, and we're really excited uh, about, uh, about bringing racegoers back onto the track. Uh, and by racegoers, I mean not only the Irish fraternity, but we also, Leopardstown, have a, a very significant uh, uh, visitorship from those from the UK and further afield and we can't wait to look forward to bringing those back too. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. Very good to have your company today. Just a reminder that my special guest this week is Donald McCain, and he'll be with us around about 10.25. But this is a very, very important week for, for gambling, for the future of gambling on sport, for horse racing within that picture. And it is well worth just reminding you of some of the headlines that have been building towards uh, the next stage of the gambling review. This in the Sunday Times. Sport faces biggish cash crisis since tobacco banned gambling logos to be outlawed from all kit. And you'll recall earlier in the week, Gary Lineker posted a noted, notable intervention where he criticised some of the uh, Premier League clubs for their associations with bookmakers. Um, there are, have been plenty more headlines during the course of the week. The sun here, stakes raised. Rishi Sunak steps in amid radical new plans to limit how much punters can bet as racing fears £60 million black hole. Now, that £60 million figure has been published by research conducted uh, and generated by the British Horse Racing Authority, though we haven't seen the exact data that drives that figure of £60 million at the moment. And Rishi Sunak's intervention, well, that really has come from a letter that he's been sent by one or two of his constituents where he says he will take up the matter with the minister concerned. So it may be a little bit of an overstatement that he is actually going to intervene personally in this matter. The Daily Telegraph this week... Football sponsorship. Under pressure, Gambling Commission should aim fire at football shirt sponsorship. Plans to introduce affordability checks, though admirable, would be an own goal for the Gambling Commission. And it really is the issue of affordability checks that will notably affect horse racing if they are brought forward, as has been suggested in some media reports this week. Now, to try and put a little bit of meat on the bones, I'm joined by the Horse Race Betters Forum Chair, Colin Horde, who is with me now. Colin, um, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Now, uh, Neil Channing, who appeared on this programme last week, professional punter and much-respected commentator on matters gambling, suggested that racing faces an existential crisis or an existential moment here. Do you agree with him? I think there's, I wouldn't say it was an existential crisis, but I do think it's a, it's a serious concern for horse racing. Yes, I do think affordability checks could be a, a serious blow for racing. And sort of we're being told that these are going to come in, you know, you, you, you're not going to be allowed to, to lose more than £100 per month relative to, to, to what you, you earn and, and, and what some of those checks might be. Now, can you actually just be a bit more specific for us? On, to your understanding, what, what, is, what is being intended here? Well, the Gambling Commission are currently undergoing a consultation exercise where they've, put, they've made out some proposals regarding affordability checks and they set out a number of limits and one of which, the lowest one, is uh, affordability checks will be brought in when, uh, when, when punters lose uh, more than £100 a month. And uh, that's alongside a number of other uh, uh, initiatives that they'd like to see about how long you can spend gambling and, and other issues. But I think the, the issue for us is really about whether that's a, a reasonable activity in terms of, of, of horse race betting, uh, mainly because we think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's easily avoidable by opening up a number of accounts, uh, continuing to bet with bookmakers on the high street and at the race course, and, uh, and possibly even uh, using uh, uh, illegal bookmakers or, or bookmakers from overseas. So you don't really think this would be a... Uh, 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 something that would, would stop problem gambling? You don't believe it would stop problem gambling in any way? Well, no, we, we, we see that there are some uh, issues associated with affordability, but we believe that gambling operators can still do much more uh, to prevent those who show signs of problem gambling 
and help them and uh, restrict their activity and not bring in um, affordability checks for uh, swathes of punters who just uh, have a, a losing run or are unlucky in some way and uh, have lost £100 that particular month and, uh, and then have to go through the, uh, the process of, of sending in you know, substantial amounts of personal information uh, regarding uh, how much they earn or their pension or their savings, etc. Yeah, that's an interesting point. To what extent do you uh, believe that, that this would be a really intrusive process? I mean, what would you actually have to go through to pass these affordability checks? Well, some punters are already going through uh, affordability checks at the moment, and from what we hear, they are quite intrusive. We've, we've known cases where people have had to send in uh, their bank statements, their, um, their wage slips, their pension information, and even in some cases, what they've got in the bank in terms of savings. And uh, I don't think, you know, for people who have an enjoyable pastime as betting or horse racing, um, uh, should, be, should be having to go through those sorts of uh, checks. Now, Colin, to what extent is your argument and your presentation this week going to be based on the fact that you believe that racing needs to be separated from other sport? It needs to be looked at differently as a betting medium from betting on football or, or casino games? Yes, yeah, so we, we see that horse racing and sports betting, in fact, we, we see that should be differentiated from uh, casino-style gaming. And we believe that there's a number of different elements to that. One is, one is that... Uh, Betting on sports and horse racing is a skill-based activity. You know, um, you know the odds are being set by an odds compiler. Uh, they vary, and where where a better sees that they they perceive that the, the odds are in their favour, they can decide to have a bet. You know, with gaming and casino games, the the, the odds are fixed. The house has a, a known edge, and uh, you know, over time, a, a player playing in casino will will end up losing. And, uh, and so we, we see that as a, as a very different thing. We also think that um, people who are attracted to horse racing and sports betting have a different sort of a, a view of their gambling um, and understand a little bit more about it rather than people that are looking for a, a straight adrenaline fix by, by watching the, spiel, the, the roulette wheel uh, spin or the, uh, the slot machines going round and round. Uh, how do you think racing as an industry should play this? Colin I mean is it right that racing just shelves in behind the betting industry behind the bookmaking industry or does it need to sort of separate itself out and 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 to try and position itself differently I think I think I think one thing that the you know the horse racing needs to do is is really get across that betting is an integral part of horse racing you know I think you know and that and that by you know, spending time looking at horse racing form and understanding how races work and and all the various elements and asset uh, you know um, and elements of horse racing that you can that you can really um, you know do do quite well at that. And I think horse racing needs to sell that a little bit more about you know uh, what so makes betting on horse racing so enjoyable and and uh, so fascinating for many many people. You know, from people who just like to have a lucky fifteen on. You know, over the weekend, to people who who like to bet, you know, on uh, on a daily basis. So I think you know, it's 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 something I think that horse racing needs to little do a little bit more about is actually, you know, show um, you know how how you can enjoy betting on horse racing and how it makes the, sp the sport more more approachable for everybody. So just tell me a little bit about your your week this week, Colin. What's going to happen on Tuesday, and and what you're going to submit to the all party parliamentary group. Yeah. So um, what we've uh, so yeah. So all the all party group are be uh, are be representing people who bet on horse racing, and I think one of the things again is that um, you know there's been many people, many campaigners that have been um, pushing on the government to introduce you know checks like affordability checks and other constraints around gambling, and I think it'd be good uh, for the for the APPG to hear someone who enjoys betting and and who who enjoys uh, that pastime and to say that it can be done safely. In fact, 99.5% of the population who do enjoy gambling do so safely and without problems. And I think we just need to make sure that we get that message across. You know, I think uh, there's 7 million people in the UK that, uh, that enjoy a bet on horse racing at least once a year. And uh, I think that just needs to be, that, may, that point needs to be made. And, uh, and then later on, well, uh, we'll be sending in our, our consultation response to the Gambling Commission and uh, and making sure that they understand how um, people on horse racing feel 
on that. But I do urge you know, everybody uh, who's watching the program to, to go to the Gambling Commission's website and see the consultation on the remote customer interactions, it's called, and, and fill in the short survey that's uh, associated with that. Do you think it's important here that we, we take stock of all views on this? Now, there are clearly certain parliamentarians who have a very hard-line view on, on gambling, Carolyn Harris and Ian Duncan-Smith and others. Do you think it's important that we listen as much as to try and shout them down in order that, that racing is, is generally perceived to be thinking about this rather than just you know, shelving in behind the betting industry and, uh, as a blunt instrument? Absolutely. No, I, I, you know, I have, you know, I, I don't like to see problem gambling. I enjoy betting and I do, do it responsibly. And I, 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 you know, really recommend that everyone does that, you know, and I think, you know, I think, that, but I do think that the bookmakers could be doing more to help, uh, help reduce this problem. And I think there's more to be done. And I, I pay tribute to what they've done already in terms of bringing in some of the uh, responsible gaming activities that they've, they've brought in, you know, de deposit limits and uh, time played and self-exclusion and all those elements. And, uh, but I still believe that there's more to be done. I still believe that they can spot who potentially are, have got problems. You know, let's face it, they can spot winners, you know, within, within a few plays, you know, within a few bets. They, they know the people that, uh, that can come out, uh, that are looking, looking like they're going to come out with the profit. And I'm sure they can do exactly the same with the people that they know are, are going to become potentially problem gamblers. And the, the figure of £60 million pounds has, been, has been talked about an awful lot this week. That £60 million, pounds, you saw the Sun headline there, a, a potential loss to racing if these affordability checks uh, are enforced, as has been suggested. And do, do you... Do you go along with that figure? Is that something that, that you you think is right? Well, I haven't, I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the workings like you say. I haven't seen the workings out of that. But I think you know, you know, we all know that that racing's finances are not in the best place at this moment in time. And any reduction in in uh, in, in what comes in from the levy board and from potentially from bookmaker sponsorship and, and media rights will be a blow to the industry. And that's only going to hit one place, and that's going to be prize money of racing. And and once that and once that element, then we're going to see you know, reduction in owners, trainers going to struggle. And, and as we know at the moment, race courses may be under threat as well. So, you know, we don't we don't want to see any reduction in, in, uh, in, in, in races finances at all. And, I, and I'm right, Colin, aren't I, that, that you, you can still be involved in this. Anybody can still be involved in this process by by making a submission to the to the review. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. So the Gambling Commission have still have got a, a shortened survey now on their website. Uh, under the remote customer interaction consultations it's called. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes to fill it in and uh, I'd welcome all your viewers and all those that are watching the programme today to, uh, to, to have a go and, uh, and fill that in now. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Well, if ever there was a statement of intent that he was back, it came on New Year's Day when he trained the first three winners at Musselburgh. But that was simply confirmation of an upward curve that had begun at the start of 2019 after a couple of really difficult years professionally and personally for my special guest this morning, Donald McCain. He is very much back in the big time. Horses like Navajo Pass and others will take him to the big spring festivals, but via an appearance on this programme. Donald, good morning. Morning, Mick. You well? Very well. It's, it's great to see you. And, and the important thing is that you and your horses seem to be in, in really, really good form. How have, you, how have you found the last few weeks and months? Um, I think it's been tricky for everyone, but we're very, very lucky to be doing the job we do at the moment and being able to keep going, you know. So um, we just keep soldiering on. You've made no secret of the fact that it's been a, a sequence of, of ups and downs, really, through the through the last few few years. Do you feel Do you feel as happy now, personally, as you have for a, for a long time? Yeah, it, um, life puts manners on you a little bit, Matt. Uh, sorry, Nick, along the way, and um, it um, it's changed my priorities a little bit. And um, we're enjoying training nice horses for nice people, and I think. Not being a very confident person, it um, makes you realise what you want to be in the job for. And if you can survive something like that, then you might be OK. It's funny that you say that you're, you're not a, a very confident person. And certainly when you, you started training, when you took over the licence from your, 
your father, you were you were always very happy to be to be interviewed to talk about the horses. Was that quite an effort for you then? Was that more of an effort than perhaps it, it felt to people like to people like us who were talking to you and thinking you were kind of full of the joys of spring? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> people I'm telling you, I'm not particularly sociable in some ways, but I, I, I don't find it easy, no. And I, I think um, I, I, I tend to not get over carried away about things because you're only going to dis- disappoint someone along the way, possibly, you know. Tell me a little bit about um, the early days when, when your father still did have the license and you'd been away and you'd, you'd been assistant to Luca Kumani and you, you, you came back. Were you, were you dead set then on, on this being your life, on this being your career, or was it something that, that sort of you couldn't get away from? No, it was always going to be. Um, we just, I decided that what I was going to do, and, and, and we, we never had any real great discussions about anything. Dad said it's time you went away, and I went away, and he said it was time you come back when we were moving, and I came back, and and we just soldiered on between us and did the very best we could with what we had. Um, there was never even a discussion about taking over; it just happened, you know. So. And was the was the McCain name, and obviously everybody knew your dad, and everybody knew the Red Rum story. For you, was that was that an advantage or or not? Do you think? Um, a lot of people had an opinion of dad, and I think it was the wrong one. Um, I used he was he was never bothered, but I used to get quite frustrated that people didn't take him seriously enough. Um, and people said you must have learnt a lot everywhere you went, and I did, obviously. But I still learnt a lot more off my father than I did any of those other yards because we were struggling with ammunition that those people wouldn't even entertain, you know? So so what was it about him and his, his ability with horses that, that you've inherited and, and that you admired so much? What should we have been taking a bit more seriously, do you think? With very, very limited funds, he was a great buyer of a horse. Um, we were dealing with horses with problems and injuries that most people wouldn't even bother trying to deal with. And when he got his chance at a good horse, um, he didn't miss very often, to be honest. I mean, obviously, Amberley House was the last good horse Dad had, and he went out. I mean, he's the man that went, came back from Punchestown after seeing a win over either two or two and a half miles and said, I found a Grand National horse. I would like to think he could train a horse like him to within a couple of days of being ready for the big day. I mean, and that takes a that takes a lot of self belief. I, I was lucky enough to to interview you and your father and mother and sister all together at your at your stables, and there can't there can't be many people who had such conviction in his own opinion. Not just about, we we all knew that he could be, you know, he could rub people up and, and sort of do it deliberately and wind, wind people up and whatever but such conviction in his own opinion on horses it was quite it was quite inspiring to watch sometimes yeah and he was he, he wouldn't be swayed he was he was very definite he didn't really care what people thought um probably to a fault um but um and we were around him see, seeing what people thought on occasions but you know, if he had the right ammunition, he was he was a great trainer of the right horse. I really enjoyed watching watching the two of you together when when you were sort of in in your early days on the license when you were you were going well in those in those early days, um, sort of just before before Peddlers Cross and Co came along, and watching you kind of bounce off each other, watching that kind of creative crackle, if you like, was was that quite was that quite sort of a, a sort of dynamic environment to be in? Yeah, he. he... He was really enjoying. We were getting to go to the sales and buy horses or buy the ammunition we'd never been able to buy before. And I think he just got great satisfaction from it. You know, we were training for nice people and and we were getting to go. And for the first time, really, apart from, say, one person asking for a Grand National horse, to go and buy nice young horses that cost a few quid and being able to be judged on what we did. And this was one such example of a, of a horse who did really well for you around that period. White Oak, she was one of the horses that really started to put the yard 
into the into the big time and you never forget a festival success and this this one must have been very very special your 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 first it's my second Second, Cloudy Lane was my first. Yes, of course, Cloudy Lane and the Kim Muir. Yeah, uh, and, and Cloudy was fantastic. Obviously, Mr. Hemmings sent out a couple of horses towards the end of his career. and I mean, he'd been in a couple of yards before he came to us, and he was just the most wonderful little horse. And, and to train the first horse for Trevor Hemmings, I think he won... He's novice hurdle at Haydock. Then he won the fixed push final at Haydock, and he won a he won a Grimthorpe, and he won a Kim Muir. Um, uh, he was the most wonderful little racehorse. In the early days, when when you had the when you had the license, she was she was one of those real stars, uh, Chickapee Ray, and you know as you say, took you to some took you to some some big shows as well. When the when the better better horses started coming along and the the bigger money started being spent and I'm I'm talking pre-Roonies here. I'm talking when when the likes of Peddler's Cross were were starting to appear. Um at that point could you could you deal with the the pressures quite comfortably? Yeah, I don't suppose I knew any different. I I, I was always very conscious of spending good money on a horse. Um and we tended to do it ourselves without agents and so on. So the mistakes yours and nobody else's, but I must say we had a we had a good run at it and we produced some really nice horses quite quickly. So it um, hadn't seen the other side of it by then, I don't think. Uh, Peddler's Cross was a horse that you had unshakable, unbreakable faith in. Has any horse come close to to showing you what he did? No. No. He was. I still to this day. Don't think people realise quite how good he was, isn't it? Um, everybody, and rightly so, goes on about Overturn and what a wonderful racehorse he was, and he was the most fantastic racehorse that turned up all the time. But he couldn't lace the boots of Peddler's Cross. Well, t- tell me what you saw from Peddler's Cross. T- try and try and try and put some some flesh on those bones. <laughs> Well, like I say, I'm not a particularly confident person, but we just knew his work was always so good. Um, he won his bumper easily. He won his novice hurdle easily. He went and won a grade two very easily at Haydock on bad ground that he didn't want. And he was doing this despite bad ground. Um, the most eye-captured thing, we did a piece of work with him before the festival in his first year at Bangor. And it wasn't the plan to do it, but it turned into one of those pieces of work that I used to see when I worked for Luca Kamani and Michael Stout and so on, where the lead horses were getting used to even try and lead him long enough. Um, and I was going around the inside in the Jeep and they were going so quick. And Jason was shouting at one horse to go past another and one to go past them just to lead him long enough. And then he just went past them like they were stood still. Um, when I pulled up, I went to get out of the car and I couldn't catch hold of the handle. My hand was shaking that much. <laughs> um, and it very nearly made me run him in the Supreme. He was that impressive. He was, a, he was such a talented horse. How, how much did it hurt when he, he didn't win the champion hurdle? He got so close. You tried to interview me, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I couldn't speak. Ah. Now, look, I wasn't distraught he didn't win or anything like that. But you could see this second effort he put in after the last when Hurricane Fly went past him. And I found that quite humbling. And truthfully, I don't think he was ever quite the same horse after that for a number of reasons. And, and it probably not finished him because he won races afterwards but he was just never the same horse after it you know i i um remember when he when he ran it and i know you do as well because we had words but he ran he ran in that match against sprinter sacker at um at kempton and you know rather flippantly i sort of said well you know and peddler's cross is this big and sprinter sacker is this big and he's he's never likely to beat him again and uh, you you got really angry with me, and I and I understand now because I understand your total passion for that horse. You're was... right. <laughs> well, 
but but that's not why I brought it up. You know, at the time I'm thinking he's being ridiculous because he's <laughs> run into one of the best horses there's ever been. But when you see how close people get to their their stable stars, you you begin to have so much more empathy for it. You know. Well, at the time we didn't really know with Sprinter Sacra, did we? But I remember I went into the weighing room after racing, and Barry Geraghty was there, and he could see I was distraught, I think. But Barry said, I wouldn't panic too much, Donald. This is a flying machine. I said, I don't really care, Barry. It's not, I, I, I'm not having it. He said, I'm telling you, this is an absolute aeroplane. And I think my words were, I don't care what it is. Nothing should beat Peddler's Cross like that. History's proved different. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.